Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools, Season 2, Episode 8. My name is Tanisha Williams, and I am happy to serve as your host this term. Extra Help was specifically created to serve parents in New York City. An extension of Inside Schools, this podcast is our ongoing conversation with parents, whether we are tackling major headlines in the news, sharing specific resources to get you through the week, or answering your questions as they surface from our trending media platforms. Most importantly, this space provides a little bit of banter of all things education. I'm an educator and I love talking about it. Today's episode is entitled, Do the Dollars Make Sense When It Comes to the Importance of Child Care? I am so very excited to also introduce our guests. Zakia Ansari is the Advocacy Director of the New York State Alliance for Quality Education, or AQE, the leading statewide organization that has been fighting for educational justice in New York State. Zakia is the mother of eight children and grandparent of four. Zakia has dedicated 20 years of her life to the fight for educational justice and ending the oppression of Black and Brown people. She was named one of the City and State Magazine's 25 Most Influential in Brooklyn. Now listen, there's a lot of people in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn. I ain't on that list, so she better get it. She volunteers her time with New York Justice League and Resistance Revival Chorus. Zakia is a 2020 Atlantic Fellow for Racial Equity. Hello, ma'am. Good morning. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. So excited to have you here. So let me jump us directly into the problem because Zakia, we're talking all things childcare in New York City today, and I believe that you have a lot of gems to drop for us. So let me set us up with the statement of the problem. First things first, tending to babies is expensive. Prior to a swift change in childcare brought on by interpersonal restrictions associated with the safety precautions of COVID-19, the childcare industry was already facing some issues. Parents had to figure out expensive choices of different schools. They had to figure out who they would want to entrust with keeping their children, all the while small daycare facilities were taxed with running successful businesses in light of steadily increasing operational costs. During the pandemic, the situation worsened. Uh, Lots of kiddos stayed at home, leaving childcare centers empty and suffering financially. So we saw a lot of closures during the pandemic, but here's the rub. Essential workers who continue to go out there and serve our our great city were the ones who needed childcare, but they had some of the most difficulty affording it because those prices skyrocketed. So even though, fast forward to now, even though we New Yorkers are back into the grand swing of things, our our kiddos are masked up and they're in schools and many more parents are physically back to work, not all of the childcare facilities have reopened. And we're at a point now where we're taking a closer look at the quality of childcare facilities. So Zakia, you actually hit me to the game. Senator Jabari Brisport is on tour. Um, I think the tour started September 19th and it's gonna run through November 24th, where he and team are literally engaging in a statewide child care listening tour to hear what's going on with our child care facilities. So I want to stop right there, Zaki, and turn it over to you. Do you think that's that's a pretty good summary of what's going on and what we're talking about today? I do. And thank you for allowing this conversation to happen. It's so important, right? Um, and I also want to acknowledge that it's Assembly Member Andrew Hepesey, who is also uh, in collaboration with Senator Jabari Bridgeport as they chair the committee on child care. Um, And so this is really an important moment, you know, as we shared, like 
I am a mom of eight. And while my children are all grown, I sometimes tend to forget that this was a struggle even for me. At one point, I was working to pay childcare and it didn't make sense to work anymore, right? Um, and so I had to stop working. And so many families experienced that. I, you know, I have grandkids and my daughters were fortunate enough to be able to send my grandkids to a childcare provider who cared a lot, but they had to pay a lot of money out of pocket and we had to collectively make sure that they, that they were able to do that. It was the best thing possible because they had to work, right? And I was working, so it wasn't like grandma could take care of them either. And so they had to pull out of pocket, which is money they could have been putting to save to build their generational wealth, to purchase a home, to do a whole host of other things that they were not able to do, even though the outcomes were really beautiful for my grandkids where, you know, my five-year-old was then five-year-old, got did granddaughter got skipped two grades. So she's like eight and in fourth grade and my other granddaughter got skipped a grade, right? And so they're both in fourth grade at the same time. The reality is that all our children are gifted and talented and we need to start them off with a really powerful, important foundation, which is childcare. And if we want to boost, if your only reason for wanting to really invest in childcare is that you want to boost that economy and you're a capitalist and we need to fund childcare in a really profound way. We need to make it available and universal and free for all families who need it. Um, we need to make sure that we are paying these folks. Let me tell you, I've been on some of those tours with some of these senators and assembly members. I've been fortunate to be go to the tour in the Bronx. I went to the one in Queens and in Long Island. And the work that these amazing providers are giving to these children, mostly women, mostly women of color, uh, not all, but mostly, uh, is just priceless. There is no price you can put on the love they are providing these children while their parents are working hard, um, that they go without paying themselves. They go without a salary, many of them. Uh, one child care provider said her mom is working there uh, and her cousin and her mom can't afford to retire. Right. Like they, they, there's no reason that we should be doing that to people who are taking care of our most prized possessions, our babies and providing them phenomenal foundation. They are actually teaching them as well. Right. It's not just they're sitting there watching TV. They are learning. They are thriving. They are playing. They are eating. They are being hugged um, and cared for. And imagine how wonderful that is if you're a parent and you have to go to work and you know that someone is taking care of your child just like they would take care of their own. It's not a lot of that happening. We got to do better in providing real resources into what we say we care about. If we do, then we will make sense of these dollars, as you said, and really truly invest in child care providers. And that's stuff that family ones, that's the centers as well. They're doing amazing work. That, well, well, first, I will, thank you for that. And and first, first, or second, first, I have to give you credit with the title, ma'am. So uh, you out here making dollars make sense when it comes down to the title of today's episode. So I also thank you for that. But just to kind of pull out some of those pieces of what you just discussed. First of all, it, it, takes, a, it takes love and care and intentionality to work with young babies that are not your own. Right. So it's not just one of those things that you can happen upon and stumble in and you decide you're going to do it just because as if it's an easy thing, because per your point, the kiddos are not just in there watching television. I, I have um, a, an amazingly beautiful goddaughter and I have visited her or when, when she was in daycare, I visited her daycare facilities and she happens to actually be on the spectrum. So her services were, um, she had more services than some of her, her class peers. And also we, we went through some of her peers matriculating into different classes while she stayed 
stayed in some of the earlier and primary classes. And when I tell you we dug down into what the child care facility curriculum looked like, it was all about like, this is how we're going to structure our day. This is how we're going to interactively play. This is how we're going to build community. This is how we're going to build knowledge and words and sights and sounds. This is how we're going to build working together. And I was quite impressed. I was like, okay, things are popping off here. And it's not just like, let me drop my babies off and play with some other babies. So um, one, I also want to thank you for kind of elevating that and just the fact and the notion that it's not just a, a holding space for children, but there is a lot of hard work and intentionality that goes into it. Not to mention the now start of, well, not really the start, but the emphasis on um, doing our due diligence with ensuring that we are screening for dyslexia, screening for hearing, and all that happens with all those milestones in early childhood. That is not, it's certainly not um, my expertise, but I can say as an educator of older children, I, I see what happens when we don't take care and we don't pay attention to those milestones with the younger ones. Um, so I, I want to pivot us into a few news bits, uh, Zakia, just to get your thoughts and your two cents on what's popping off in the news and what's a guan, because we do like to take time for our parents to read the news. I don't want to say read the news for you, but definitely give you some gems and then direct you to where you can do a deeper dive on your own in an attempt to hopefully save you some time. So I'm actually going to work backwards. The oldest clip that I have is December 20th, 2020. So back in December, this was around six months after the majority of the stay-at-home orders had been lifted in the United States, the childcare industry was still struggling. Um, and that article came out of a CNBC piece. So I encourage uh, parents to, to just know that if this wasn't also um, a situation that was easy to recover, right? Those childcare facilities didn't just pick back up and restart. Um, and this was six months after um, we were able to, to go back out into the streets. And then another article, a little more recently, March 10th, 2021, Congress greenlights a $40 billion bailout for the childcare industry. So from December to March, still three months later, we're still trying to figure out how we can pour money into or make those dollars make sense to really help this industry kind of revive itself. So the soundbite that I pulled from there with the passage of the American Rescue Plan Act, American families and child care providers can look forward to roughly a $40 billion infusion for an industry rocked with closures and dramatically increased operating costs amid the pandemic. So then fast forward to our last piece that we're going to highlight for right now before I turn it over to you, Zakia, for even more gems to be dropped. Um, this was June 8th, 2021. Child care centers closed as New York spent relief funds slowly. So some of the bits that we get here, some 1,500 programs closed as of April 2020, disrupting the child care arrangements for families and impeding economic recovery, according to those advocates and supportive lawmakers. Nearly all the businesses were owned by women or minorities. And Zakia, you brought some of this up. So what we also learned from this article is that New York is set to get an additional windfall of $2.3 billion in child care money as a result of two further pandemic relief bills passed by Congress since December. So I, I want to also go into this notion that you made where it's like sometimes it's just cheaper not to work because you have to you have to take care of the babies. And then that's how we sometimes get auntie up the street taking care of other babies so that folks can go off it go off to work. And the the I don't want to say the struggle, the lived experience is real. 
right? When it comes to rubber meeting the road, when it comes to caring for, nurturing, building that environment where, where children are able to learn and play. And then also kind of um, looking at that juxtaposed to childcare, which could be, what is my little, my, my little niece? I think it's, it's something like, they pay like $300, $400 a week. And I was like, wait, for one week? Um, so talk me through, talk me through how families reconcile and experience that you have experiences that you have either had or that you've heard of that um, are applicable to some of our families listening? Yeah. So real quick, you know, we currently, you're right. Like we got a nice chunk of money for childcare across the board in New York state specifically. Yeah. We still have a billion dollars in unspent federal COVID childcare relief dollars, right? A billion dollars. Meanwhile, we are sitting here talking about how many, how many folks need childcare in this moment. We still haven't spent all our money. A billion dollars, you know how much that could, how many places and spaces that could provide either for some child care providers to offer to, to offer services for more children or to open up additional ones. There were many closed, but many stayed open the whole time during the pandemic because just what you said, many of the parents were essential workers and they still needed a place to stay. Um, many of them took, you know, because they know their families and their families might not have been able to pay right away. Like, you know, they... They still watch the babies while their families went, you know, they tried to provide those late hours when they could. And many times they could not. Meanwhile, they spend hours doing paperwork afterwards because of all the, the backlog of paperwork that they have to do means they get less rest and less sleep. The pandemic has caused them to have to really do extensive cleaning every day, right? It's not just like wiping down things, like you got to do extensive cleaning every day. So that's additional. And they don't have services, many of them, that come in and do the work, right? They doing it themselves, doing the paperwork. Some of them talk about they don't get to sleep till like two, three o'clock in the morning because they're doing all the things. And guess what? They still have families. So where do they spend time with them, right? And then again, acknowledging that many of them are women, many of them are women of color. Um, and so in this moment of, again, once again, like caring for that, what we've seen with families is that they could not have done the work that they were doing. They could have not have survived without these childcare providers, both the centers and the, um, the family ones, right? And so, yes, auntie and, you know, grandma, whomever, what we're saying, they should get paid as well, right? It's not just about providing for them just to be sitting there and providing these moments. They should be getting paid. They should have services. They should have resources. They should have health insurance. They should have all the things that they need to be able to thrive because they are doing the work. They are doing the job that so many of us are grateful for them doing, but we're not investing those dollars in the right way. Um, and so that's a possibility. Like many times, like you said, you know, including myself, utilize a friend of the family to watch my kids and you paid them like $25 or whatever it was back then, you know, my kids are young, uh, older. So whatever it was, you finagle to pay some money for folks. Um, and in those moments, they might not have been learning everything. It might've just been like, they're coming home from school. Can you watch them in that moment? But there's so many folks that, um, of our children who need, again, going back to a, a foundation that prepares them. And, and to your point too, and those early spaces is where you find out if your child does have a learning disability or something else, right? Or maybe you find that they're, you know, excel and accelerated in some areas. Like that's where you find those things out, which prepares them for creating a phenomenal, successful K-12 education. And sometimes we don't, as in Black and Brown kids, we don't often, the system doesn't see it that way. They're like, ah, oh, just watch the kid and let's go. But if you're white and affluent and you pay for stuff, 
right? Your expectation is that you're going to prepare my child. They might be multilingual by the time they finish childcare. They might be able to, you know, ski or like do all these crazy things and travel and all those other things. And it's just the norm. It is just what it is. And so how are we really shifting the narrative? We really care about all kids to create a phenomenal foundation. And some of these folks watch children from ages zero to 12 years old, right? So if they run the gamut, of kids come after school into elementary school, they have to go pick them up sometimes, sometimes get dropped off, right? Parents need that, you know, my 12 year old, I want them to be in a safe space. And sometimes these childcare providers have been watching them since they've been zero to six weeks old. And now they're, you know, in elementary school. So they come back, it's something they're familiar with, people they know, folks you trust. Can we put a capital T? People you trust to care for your children and the children trust themselves. That is almost a phenomenon nowadays, right? Like to have both those things is really rare. So this moment for parents is important. Um, people want to get back to work. Parents want to work, but they care about their children. They want them to be cared for. And I don't think that's um, too much to ask for. And I, and I feel like once again, you have dropped these gems. First things first, it's like, well, we got the money, but we ain't used up all the money yet. So where do, where the money reside? And how can we make sure the money gets to the right place so that people can continue to do the very important work? And then the second piece that I want to highlight is I, I, I think it's it's no different from the ways in which we talk about the allocation of resources in schools. But I well, I will say it is different because it's almost more important because per the point that you made that I made that we both made earlier, those early formative years and is when we start to do some of those preliminary assessments. So if you have the capability to send your child to a child care facility where they can become multilingual or engage in a variety of different activities versus perhaps having to make the choice where auntie has to, to hold on to the baby, not to say that auntie is not doing a great job. But auntie can't do a dyslexic screener. Auntie um, may not have access to teach multilingual curriculum. That, that is going to impact the ways in which those children grow and interact with the world, right? So, so again, we get back to this conversation of access and doing things that make sense for all of our inhabitants in New York City. One thing I will say that um, I kind of lived through and working with my best friend and my goddaughter, New York, uh, de Blasio did put in place uh, 3K, universal yes. 3K. Yes. And at the time, my goddaughter was in Colorado and I was like, y'all don't have the 3K? And she was like, uh-uh, what is the 3K? So, so I got into the game of even the variances in age when children have access to um, start to get screened. Because in that case, we had to make a fuss when we saw that my goddaughter wasn't meeting some of those developmental right. markers. So it was like, well, who's going to do an assessment? And we had to actually figure out how to get a private assessment done. And it wasn't something that happened through school. And we lost some time, right? With When you're thinking through developmental delays and trying to address those developmental delays. It's like we, we don't have time to lose to one kind of identify this difference that my little baby has and then how we can work through it. So Zakia, I would love to hear like just your thoughts on how we repeatedly say, well, resources are not equitable in K through 12, but also resources are not equitable in early child care and income disparities. Once people matriculate out of um, grammar school prior to going to college or even once they get out of college. So 
I just don't understand why we keep saying the same thing. And I, I almost think that's a beautiful pivot to some of the amazing work that AQE is doing. So maybe you take us there, right? Maybe you talk us through where, where do parents start and begin? Because we keep saying the same thing over and over again. And I, I feel like there's got to be a way to start to, to galvanize folks together to start to chip away at it. AQE, when de Blasio got in, really fought hard because we believed in the power of like universal pre-kindergarten and the three K. So we fought hard on the state level to make sure that he had the dollars he needed to be able to do that, as well as after school was a big thing for him back then as well. So it was through the advocacy work that we have done with parents and community members across New York State when de Blasio first got elected that he was able to even do pre-K. And he fought hard for pre-K. Uh, and and it hasn't fought that much harder for a lot of other things. But anyway, so we got pre-K and 3K. So that's really great. The other thing around 3K and pre-K, actually, like there needs to be a definite improvement and analysis of how we are servicing children with special needs in 3K, which is a real problem. Um, as you shared, like children are coming in with all different abilities and we're not catching them. We're not providing the right resources and we have not set up an infrastructure to actually really be able to care for them and give them the resources they need, right? And it doesn't mean that it's a deficit. It means that we need to provide them the resources they need so they can thrive. The city hasn't done a good job with that in regards to 3K. The other piece is that the way parents pay attention is like, even if your child is not a child that has a disability, um, you know, who's not black or brown, who's not living in poverty, you know, if we care about children, in my heart of hearts, I believe we do, um, I just think we get caught up in like this system of inequities that doesn't necessarily do that. But if we believe in children and even if we're not impacted by that, we should be doing the outreach and the our due diligence to connect to see if our schools and our districts are caring for black and brown and poor children and immigrant kids in this moment, right? Um, I would also suggest, you know, you follow AQE because we are constantly all over state work because we do state advocacy work but also New York City. I run the New York City office. Um, so we do New York City advocacy as well with parents and community members, really important. Um, and again, a reminder that just because you're, this is not your story and your lived experience doesn't mean that it's not happening. I urge people to pause in those moments of understanding. You might not have ever experienced anything like my child didn't have access to what, and we don't have who. But there are many, many folks who look like us here right now who experience that on a daily basis from zero to college and graduate school and beyond. Right. So at AQE, you know, part of the way we've been contributing to this system called public education and creating equity is that for the last 21 years, we had been struggling to get an equity lawsuit called the Campaign for Fiscal Equity Funded. In 1993, a parent, then Robert Jackson, was a lead plaintiff in the campaign for fiscal equity. Now, Senator Robert Jackson, uh, so that, that trajectory is really always very powerful for me. When he was the parent leader and the lead plaintiff, the complaint was that New York State was not meeting its constitutional obligation to provide every child with a sound basic education. And after 13 year battle back and forth in the courts in 2006, because of the organizing work that we've been able to do as AQE, we were able to get then Governor Spitzer to put this historic amount of money of almost $6 billion into schools. This was statewide, right? Four years, only supposed to be a four-year commitment. And in two years into that, the market crashed. 
And so for us as advocacy groups, that, that was our campaign, CFE. And we thought we were there. Um, but as our advocacy group, we realized, you know, 14 years later, they still had not committed New York State to funding CFE. And in the midst of a pandemic earlier this year, in the midst of a pandemic, a racial reckoning in the streets around George Floyd's murder, uh, the weakening, to be quite honest, of Governor Cuomo with his Me Too moments. I don't think if anyone, I think if any of those things were off kilter, we might not have gotten this. We were able to bring home this victory. So $4 billion over three years will be phased into public schools specifically for Black, Brown, and poor children throughout New York State. So even the white poor children that live in rural areas of state New York, they will also receive these dollars. After almost a 30-year battle, as I said, it started in 1993. So one thing that reminds me, and I've been doing this work for about 21 years myself, is that organizing is not a sprint, it's a marathon. There are so many people that told us to give up. I don't know why I keep asking for this money, the legislators, regular folks, but parents and young people from across New York State and some and many elected officials who have been right side by side with us said, we're not giving up. And for 21 years, somehow AQA was able to keep this sexy and in the news. And we came through with the victory this year. So this year, New York State got 1.4 billion. Next year, they get about half. In the following year, about this, the last half. And we're really excited because Governor Hochul has made a commitment to funding the second half. So we won't have to battle for that. Childcare is our new thing. But we can, that, that's just a reminder of the power of we and longevity and not giving up and a sense of urgency and knowing we are focus point. Because at AQE, we believe education justice is racial justice. And we stayed focused, we stayed the course, we held out and we fought hard with everyone involved. It's a we thing. So when folks say you can't get something done, you can get it done. Um, is it gonna be overnight? No, but guess what? The more folks engage in this, the quicker it, we can get to the victory part, <laughs> right? And so we believe it's the same thing with childcare. There's this moment right now of the pandemic. Most millions of women are out of work. Uh, families need to get back to work. They wanna go to work, but they also understand that their children are really important. And not like they didn't before, but it's really ele um, elevated in this moment that everybody's paying attention. And so we think this is a great opportunity to actually not only get universal child care for folks who need it, but also to make sure that we are paying the folks who are providing these wonderful services for our young people, this love, food, uh, a hug and all the things, a ways that they can live on, that they, eventually they can retire that they can pay their own bills and get health insurance and all the things. We owe it to them to do that. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. And again, it was so many gems that you just dropped again. You said, so first and foremost, let me officially, on behalf of myself and, and my family and all the people I feel like I can represent and I can put my mouth on and say, we all agree. We thank you so much for your efforts, for your work and the, and the acknowledgement that Sometimes you got to keep fighting. And you, you said AQE was able to keep it sexy and keep it in the news. I think that was intentional. That's part of the work, right? It's like, how do we keep having this conversation? How do we keep folks motivated to continue to have this conversation? And how do we not stop until we get the thing that we want? Now it's tiring, <laughs> right? Exhausting. To Exhausting. say the least. And it, there, there are definitely some times when folks feel down and they feel like it's never going to happen. 
But then there are also the victories that come after very, very, very long battles. And I think that for parents to hear one, kind of hear that story, but then also to hear that every day along the way, someone contributed to that work, whether it was just somebody, some random person calling you the kid saying, hey, girl, hey, thank you for what you're doing today. That got you through that day to the next day. So we we encourage parents to think through what they want to organize for and what they want to stand for and acknowledge that every day is a new opportunity to contribute to a thing that may come later that we may not see yet, but it definitely may come. So one, want to acknowledge your work and your hard work and your intentionality and say thank you. And then two, I, I think again, you said you, you've elevated the work that parents can do and how parents can get involved. So we have a part in our show where we drop specific resources. And again, full credit to you to even hipping me to the game of the current uh, tour that's going on. So we'll make sure in the show notes, we drop the schedule of all of the listening to the rest of the listening tour. Um, It's at its tail end, but we'll make sure that we drop that information. But I feel like I would love it if you if you gave us some AQE resources that we should definitely pay attention to or dig into. Yeah. So I um, also want to shout out the Empire State Campaign for Child Care. They are the ones like if you're on social media, please follow them. They are doing amazing work. We are one of the members, but also they parents and providers and uh, unions and advocacy organizations are all part of that. They're the ones who have coming up with all these recommendations, have been fighting the good fight uh, to make sure that we get uh, child care the way done right you know, and done equitably and done justly. Uh, so please, Empire State Campaign for Child Care or ESCC uh, is that acronym. Please follow them if you're interested in knowing more about that. Be involved in more in this fight and this struggle for child care. Um, AQE as well, like follow us at aqeny.org. Um, you will find a whole host of resources. You know, one thing we really try to do is provide uh, bite-sized advocacy opportunities and resources for parents and community members. So if you're ever doing a school board meeting, you want to talk about education, we have a whole toolkit that, you know, kind of breaks down things for you. So please go utilize our website. We have tons of reports from childcare to school funding to, you know, ending the school to prison pipeline to how much charters are taking from public schools, like all the things. So please go go look and utilize it as a resource as well. Um, we are engaging, like I said, in childcare, but it's also, we have a ton of bills. One is called Solutions Not Suspensions Bill. So it would re- reduce the number of suspensions. A child can be suspended for up to 180 days, even though that's a school year, it's not considered an expulsion, unacceptable. Um, we are also, uh, and it would also push for restorative justice practices to be used, not suspensions, like we should be first figuring out how we are disciplining. Right now we're just punishing children, two different things. Uh, Children don't learn necessarily from punishment. Discipline is much different, right? Like how do we do that? And it could be done restoratively. Like how are we restoring trust and faith for both the one who was harmed as well as the student who might've done the harm, right? Um, Which is is a different way of thinking, but a much needed way of thinking, especially for black and as it pertains to how we treat black and brown young people. Um, and it would reduce suspension, eliminate suspensions, excuse me, from K to three. So yes, we are handcuffing and suspending children as young as five. Something's got to change. And it's not all kids, right? It's the same black and brown kids that we see all the time. So we have that bill we're trying to get passed. Implementation and accountability of these federal dollars. New York State got $13 billion from the federal government 
New York City itself got $7 billion. Um, we want to make sure that we are holding the city ourselves accountable for the implementation. Because one thing we do know, if we are not, the system will spend its money how they see fit to spend its money. And history tells us as well is that it will not be for the betterment of black and brown communities. It will be often at our detriment, right? And so we need to make sure that we are paying attention to that. We are all on board and we need more folks to be paying attention as well. So if you're in schools, find out how much money your school received from the federal government, find out how they're using it. Is it being used on, it was specifically earmarked for children with Title I, specific population of children, special needs, immigrant students, like all those things. If it's not being spent that way, then we're doing a disservice to um, equity. And so we are really pushing for that. Um, and we're, you know, wondering, we're not sure what this Adams administration will mean for education, but we are all in on that as well. We think there are opportunities and we're going to capitalize on those opportunities knowing darn well that there will be push and pull and there will be actually fights. And that's okay, because that's what democracy is, despite what people think. We don't have to get along. We just got to get it right. We got to get it just. Um, and we got to do right by communities who have been underserved and traumatized and harmed for so, 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 so long. Um, so we're, we're doing all the things, trying to figure it out, but we always need to build a bigger we. So please, again, join us. Go to AQE, sign up for our newsletters. We're always doing actions, you know, send an email, send the phone, you know, phone call. We're doing the text bank, like whatever it is. So join us for all those things because uh, we can't, but because we got this victory, the, the, the work didn't stop. It actually, this is the next phase of it. It's like how are we spending these dollars and then they get to the children we need to get them to or else the federal government and others will never give us money again. They will say, they will blame our children for not doing well. And we have to say not on our watch, not on our watch. Building a bigger we. I cannot go, I cannot wait to go back to the transcript and pull out all these gems that I'm going to drop, but it's okay, parents. I'm going to make it real easy for you. I'm going to pull some gems. I'm going to tweet them out. <laughs> and I want to take this opportunity to thank you for being here with us for dropping the gems. I feel like I got to have you back. We got to talk about Adam's education. We got to talk about um, Adam's education plan. We got to talk about discipline in schools and restorative justice and some, some possible um, alternatives to strategy. So it has been an amazing morning sharing my morning with you getting the tea here and again i thank you for hipping me to the game of what was going on um, in the child care industry i will take a moment to also acknowledge edla lucille blue uh changed my background just to shout out my baby here um but let me go ahead and wrap up this show for us we want to say parents thank you so much for tuning into this episode but guess what our engagement does not have to stop here. As always, you can visit us at InsideSchools.org for independent reviews of city schools and sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll also find us pretty active on our Facebook page, Twitter, and our WhatsApp, WhatsApp group for Spanish-speaking families. And, and, and you can leave us a voicemail question via our podcast page. Finally, please consider subscribing to our podcast. And if the spirit moves you, leave us a little feedback. I'm out here talking. I hope you're listening. We got dope people dropping gems and we want to hear how it's landing for you. Until next time, my friends, have an amazing week and we will see you again soon.